This is the Aurelius Podcast, episode 52 with Roy Olende. I'm Zach Naylor, co-founder at Aurelius and your host for the Aurelius Podcast, where we discuss all things UX, research, and product. In this episode, we have Roy Olende, the research ops manager and interim head of UX research at Zapier. Roy has worked in a few different companies of various sizes and growth stages where he saw and contributed to the development of their UX research and research ops practices. Roy and I talked about levels of research and what you learn at each quote-unquote Zoom level and how to know when to do more tactical research versus higher level market and customer understanding. We also heard from Roy on just what exactly is research ops, how to do it, and when you might know it's time to start investing in research operations. The Aurelius podcast is brought to you by Aurelius, powerful research repository and insights platform. Aurelius is an all-in-one space for researchers to organize notes, capture insights, analyze data, and share outcomes with your team. We recently announced two of our biggest features yet. Aurelius now offers transcriptions and our automatic report builder. You can add any audio or video recording and have notes created for you automatically. Then Aurelius automatically creates a report with every key insight and recommendation from your project, which you can then edit, design, and share right with anyone from Aurelius. Check us out at AureliusLab.com. That's A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. Okay, let's get to it. Hey, Roy. Hey, how's it going? Not bad. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. Yeah. Glad to hear that. Of course, appreciate you taking the time jumping on to be part of our show, chat with me about research, research ops, all this kind of stuff. You've been writing about this for a while. You've been talking about it. You even have your own podcast uh, mm-hmm. now where you're discussing some of the stuff. So the, pretty excited to chat with you more about this. Yeah, same. Awesome. Say, you know, before we kind of get into it for sure, maybe introduce yourself to folks, talk a little bit about your background, kind of what you do, just in case somebody doesn't know who you are already. Yeah, absolutely. I go by Roy or Opata, my middle name. Currently work at Zapier, which is a SaaS company focused on automation. And my role right now is leading research operations, but also just jumped out of interim head of research as well. So I do have a background in UX research. I did UX research sort of ran the practice at another SaaS company called Buffer before joining Zapier. So I've been able to dabble in both UX research and research operations. So all things research basically is my sweet spot. Uh, Before that, did consulting sort of like a more service design focused consulting. And yeah, I really enjoy this space, really enjoy learning about people's perspectives on tools they use and just being surprised by, you know, by conversations. So yeah, really enjoy this space. So that's that's some of the work I do and, and where I've worked before. Awesome. I appreciate you sharing the background. I, one of the things that I kind of like to ask some folks too, and I would ask you, because you've got a pretty varied background, you know, you didn't just come mm-hmm. straight into sort of research. How did you get started, right? How did you decide that, well, this is the thing I actually really like doing. Yeah, definitely stumbled through a bunch of different roles and thought <laughs> my career would end up in different spots um, along the way. So let's jump back sort of really early university days. I wanted to be in medicine, sports medicine, did a pre-med, three years in, realized this sucks. I don't want to do this. I feel like, let me, let me actually say, not only really it sucks, I feel like it's a calling. <laughs> so my mother is a, is a surgeon. And so okay. I know what it's like to do at least that type of medicine that she does. And this really needs to be something I really want to pursue. So I realized I don't want to pursue this. Switched over to business, which is what my dad does. Did a master's in, in commerce organization and management. And then pivoted pretty quickly after I graduated from my master's to work in the not-for-profit world. And that was really great. Really enjoyed it. But four years in, 
my wife and I were, my wife was pregnant and I needed to make enough money to take care of the family. Unprofitable is great, but sometimes you don't get great pay and was pursuing opportunities in what I did for my master's and ended up starting to do consulting just for like friends who are running companies. A few months into it, I realized, oh, I'm a consultant, I guess. And so mm-hmm. originally focused sort of around employee engagement and org design, that sort of stuff. About a year in, realized it's nice to do this, but I'm also seeing a lot of folks don't think deeply about their customer. So started to really connect with people in service design and and really get into that that sort of field. And so that's what sort of drew me away from the employee side towards the customer side of things. And did that for a while, sort of burnt out in consulting and was thinking about the next thing. And, and that's when the opportunity with Buffer, the last company I worked at, came about. So they were looking for someone who knew about research. I was more on the customer research side, but they're open to having someone who came in with a different perspective. And so that's how I got into UX research. Joined that team, ended up leading the UX practice there, did some really cool work, wrapped up then, came to Zapius. So coming into UX research, it was sort of like stumbling into this need I saw in companies where did consulting, where they they weren't thinking deeply about their customers. They weren't mm-hmm. thinking deeply about their users. And so I just proactively reached out to people who are in that space, learned from them, did some experimentation, did some consulting, and then switched gears into SaaS world when I joined Buffer. That's really interesting. It almost sounds to me like your background, as you describe it, is is, well, I, I switched to business. That's kind of what your dad did. And so you kind of got into that and looking at like how businesses work and mm-hmm. maybe it even sounds like in some ways operations of a yeah. business, right? And then mm-hmm. you realized, well, you're not really thinking about the operations of how you serve customers deeply enough. And I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe like, because I know this was true for me. I didn't have a language for UX and UX research when I started. But then again, this was a long time mm-hmm. ago too. It sounds like maybe that was the case for you, but you just recognized this problem or you know opportunity to help yeah, without, yeah. without knowing it was UX research or design research or any of that stuff. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting to come in as an outsider to these companies where they're very focused on a single singular problem where they've obviously had enough. It takes a lot for a company to bring in a consultant, right? Like they've had enough pain there where they've gone, we can't solve this ourselves. We need to bring someone else in. And then to observe as an outsider, actually what people in the company really think and really feel, right? So the leaders might think this is like purely an employee engagement problem or an org design problem. And you speak to people and they go, you know, I'd really love to focus more on (laughs) on the problems that our customers have. Like if we could fix that stuff, I'd actually be really, I'd be more engaged in my work. I'd be more excited about what we're doing. Yeah, I didn't quite have a language to it. it. It took like definitely about six months of just digging around, figuring stuff out, speaking to people to begin to go, I think this is like, service design slash customer research slash there's something here. And so, yeah, I think I I agree with you there. I I couldn't, it took a while to articulate what I was hearing from people inside companies and also the opportunity that was there to help companies in this, in that space. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that that's uncommon at all, right? I know that you talk with a lot of people in our field in our industry. I don't mm-hmm. think that at all it is the majority of case where people go, well, I heard about this field and I decided I was really going to be into that. And then I started doing it. It's, I actually think more often than not, it's very similar to your story where, mm. you know, you're doing something that you're probably interested in and passionate about. Yeah. But then on the periphery is this thing and there's not enough focus on the customer and you're not talking to them enough. And it just seems so obvious. And if you've kind of got that, as you would say, calling to it, you just sort of recognize that and say, well, we got to do that better. And then all of a sudden you look into the work that a lot of people who've come before us have even done, right? And yeah. really helping everybody understand what this means. And then you go, 
okay, now you're speaking my language for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's nice to finally find that sweet spot where I think I think it really happened when I was at Buffer. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I think I think I'm understanding this a lot better now. Like this ability to to dive into what customers need, but also the ability to work with teams to like bring something that is going to address those needs. Yeah, it's great to find that spot. Totally. And I'm actually glad you brought Buffer up again, because as you were talking about your transition into that, it almost sounds like you started your career like very highly in the generative type research space, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and, and in Buffer's case, I know that they're a successful company, certainly. But on the other hand of that, they're still fairly new as yeah. you would consider maybe companies. And I don't think that they had any trouble with product market fit to say, but rather like still mm-hmm. getting their legs of what their product is, the real value it delivers and all the opportunities they might have. It kind of sounds to me like that's where you really started your research work, which to me is the most exciting kind of research. Yeah. Um, is that fair? Yeah, I think it really helped that the co-founders valued research. Like they saw, I think sometimes you have companies where the founders understand a certain space and you get into it. And you sort of, you know, get that product market fit, you can grow a company, but then the connection to customers gets further and further as your team grows. So you're getting further and further from those founders directly solving problems to the, the team solving problems. And I think at Buffer, one of the things, especially early days, was the co-founders really understood the importance of of having that connection, having that understanding. Yeah, I think I've spoken to many teams where research comes in and it's essentially a PM saying, hey, or designer, could you go test this thing and make sure that it's heading in the right direction? Whereas we definitely had a very collaborative setup where between the PM, we had these pods with a PM, a designer, a data scientist, engineers, and a researcher to go out and solve problems in certain spaces. So the value of research was significantly higher than what I've seen in other companies as they're starting off their research practice. That's definitely pretty interesting to hear about. I'd love to learn a little bit more about that because one of the things I was going to ask you is in your experience there, especially at Buffer, Mm -hmm. how did you see sort of ushering this in, you know, bringing the whole company closer to the customer as they were growing and as they were hiring people? Because you said yourself, like, that's absolutely an issue. And I think we've all been part of it in some way. Yeah, there's different approaches to this. I think what what we saw was that in having these sort of product pods working together, it was essential to have someone who sort of had more ownership over diving into critical problems. So the PM and designer could sort of work on in their superpowers and in sort of the areas of, of greater strength. So that was quite focused in on these specific product areas. I think the advantage that brought was a good depth of knowledge for these product teams and what they're trying to do. So we had four researchers who worked with these teams. I will say there's a disadvantage to that in that we didn't have someone who was thinking very holistically about like, what's the entire experience? So the advantage that we saw was certain teams having good depth of knowledge in their product areas. And that's essential. That's really good. But I do want to emphasize it's not, it was imperfect, right? What we couldn't do at that stage because we were sort of very embedded product area focused was actually more help the entire company grasp what's the holistic experience here and what's it like for someone to come in to get started to go through the process to drop off or to continue what's that feeling what are the needs there right it was good in that we were not just super tactical kate do this usability test i think that's a rough spot for people to start it is intermediate spot where we could we could help certain teams to get understanding. But at that point, we couldn't help 
the entire company to understand really well the full experience. Yeah, that really makes sense. And I mean, that's kind of why I wanted to dig into your experience at Buffer too, because it's still I would still have considered it a startup, maybe even still, but certainly mm -hmm. during your time there, because it was a few years ago now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And myself, obviously, <laughs> working in a startup now, but but many times, even in my career, sort of prior to Aurelius, mm -hmm. and working at other startups, and that's uh, that's something that I've seen as well, where you get to this intermediate spot, you know, as you would mm -hmm. say. And you're doing really good work maybe on an area of the product because they've established these product teams. But what you're missing is that is that sort of overarching understanding across. And I'm really glad you touched on that. I'm curious if you were to look back, hindsight's 2020, as the saying goes. Yeah. <laughs> but if you were if you were to look back and just say, Well, here's the way I think we could have addressed that. You know, what advice might you give to those teams or or that organization to say, here's how you can kind of close that gap? There's always the way I've, I've talked about this is sort of the analogy of like, you know, being in a plane when you're on the ground, when you're sort of like taking off you're midway through that ascent, and then when you're at cruising altitude, right? So 30,000 feet cruising altitude, it gives you a really good view far into the distance. You can see a lot of what's happening and you need someone or some people to give you that view. You need a 30,000 foot view of the landscape, like what's happening in the market, how are customers generally solving their problems? How can we sort of describe the critical jobs that our product, our products serve and understand where we fit in all of that, right? So 30,000 feet is really important. The 10,000 foot view of, okay, let's say generally within this area or this set of jobs, what are we looking like? What does our product do again? How do we solve these problems? And how does that compare to the needs of our customers, right? And then you sort of have ground level actually doing the work, those product teams of understanding, okay, here are the changes that we can make based on the needs that we're seeing, right? So I think any company is going to need that differentiation, that variety in their work, the 30,000 foot view, the 10,000 foot view, and the ground level. Uh, if you are missing any of those, you're just missing out on the fullness of what research can bring to a company, the value that research can bring and the potential impact of understanding customers at different levels. I think that's sort of fundamentally been something that I learned quite early on at Buffer. And I think every company needs to have that approach in some way, right? Yeah, that's generally how I think about trying to structure research within a company so that it can be as valuable as possible. Yeah, love that. As my job is on our show to try to summarize what you said and kind of give it back, you know, for everybody listening to, it's really research can provide value in being able to say, here's where our company is, here's where the market is, here are opportunities we can, and it would make sense for mm -hmm. us to solve problems. Then it is that intermediate layer, that 10,000 foot layer, the problems, here's them well-defined on how we solve them. Then there's the ground level of, here's how well we're solving that problem. There's this stuff where you're talking about, you're doing the usability testing to making sure the evaluative stuff to say, well, we've got mm -hmm. the solution or we're working on it actively and, or can we tweak the mechanics of that to make sure it's as good as possible? Yeah, yeah, I think that sums it up well. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, that's, and it totally makes sense. You know, I guess a question I would have follow on to that for you, is that the same person who's doing all of that work? Is that different people? Is that different teams? I'm just kind of curious how you've seen that work and what you might recommend to somebody uh, listening to this. Because I'm sure everybody's, because our folks, everybody's listening to us to chat right now, our UX yeah. research folks, product folks, and they're all like, yeah, of course we should do that. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about, well, how do we actually get that done, right? Yeah, I think it's very tough for one person to do all those things. You think of a startup at different stages, let's say 
let's just use a number of employees as a way to classify startups, right? So let's say like less less than 20, 21 to 50, 50 to 250 and, and more, right? When you're at that stage where you're less than 20, I think 10,000 foot view and ground level is like really important. Like you're trying to probably still at the product market fit level, you're, you're trying to just grow and see if like there is, this is viable in our market, it's going to be valuable, right? I think it's really tough to focus on the 30,000 foot level or the value of that is is, is sort of tough to tough to translate, right? And I think as you grow, again, the, the distance of teams from the customer, it's very easy for teams to get distant. And so the value of having that connection is really important. But concurrently, there is a need to understand what's happening more widely, especially for to translate this to executives, key team members of like, this is where we're at. This is this is really what's happening in the market. These are the key problems that our customers have, right? And so it takes for one person to do that is as a company grows. One, I think like if you're at 100 and you have one researcher, that's like a really tough spot for that for that researcher. I know every company is going to have different approach, different models for how research works. In the end, I think it's going to be tough for one person. I would say when you get to the scale where you do get this 30,000 foot, 10,000 foot ground level, to me, it seems obvious that you would likely have different teams focus on that work. You may have, say, a a product team with a product manager and designer focus on that ground level stuff, right? So being able to evaluate what's going on, validate that this is actually the direction to go, uh, that might make more sense than having a researcher dedicated to that within a team. And maybe the researcher works at the 10,000 sort of foot level with maybe like sort of like directors of product, that sort of thing. But I think you're still going to need a team or a person to focus very high level and understand those problems, translate that so that leaders can understand what's happening with customers. All that to say, it is very tough for one person to do it all. I think it's possible when you're small for one or a few people to cover a couple of those levels. But I think you probably want to get to a place where different people or different teams can focus on each level. Yeah, that's awesome. As you were describing some of those challenges and possible approaches to doing that, for me, it sounded like it was actually starting to touch on research operations in this world that we mm. are talking about now, which is actually still very new, despite yeah. its uh, growing popularity like within our industry and the niche of our industry. I think, I think mm -hmm. it's still very new to a lot of people, certainly organizations as a whole. Oh, yeah. Before we even really dig into that, I would one thing I would like to ask you is just, as somebody who's worked in research ops, mm -hmm. if somebody were to ask you, well, what is research ops, right? The perennial question, what, how would you answer that? Yeah, I would say research ops, my definition of it is creating the infrastructure to make research happen at scale. It is very easy to have lots of people doing research in a company and have them doing it in their own ways. Let's think about this. Let's use an analogy, right? You have like, let's just say a, a large patch of land, right? That people are given the task of like, oh yeah, go ahead and explore this land, right? And so they have a bunch of maybe SUVs, a bunch of Jeeps, and they can just like drive through it. There's some forest, there's maybe some swampy sort of areas, and, and they can go and explore, right? And so each person sort of has the, the tools to do it. They can go out and, and do this exploration, right? Each of them charts their own path, and even though it's sort of fun, it's also a little messy, right? <laughs> so it's a lot tougher to like drive through swampy land or or drive through some some like foresty area than it is to drive on a road, right? So essentially what research ops does is 
okay, before you go out and explore this land, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna like jump out there. We're gonna build a few roads. You can actually drive through a bit smoother. You can see each other. We're gonna put up signs. So, you know, like it's probably best to drive this speed in this area because it's very windy. It's a bit mountainous, right? We're gonna build some bridges so you don't have to drive over the swampland. Like make sure it's a bit easier for you. And maybe a bit of a strange way to describe it, but I think what Research Ops does is essentially just build the required infrastructure so that folks can do this work a lot easier. It's a smoother process. And there is a unified understanding of how we're doing this. I think that's probably the key thing is like really creating this shared understanding of how we approach this work. As you begin to scale, as you're growing your company, it is very easy for a lot of valuable work to get missed, a lot of work to be replicated. One person who drove through that swampland is like, oh, like I'm the first person. Yeah, this is awesome. And drives for a while and realizes, oh, there's someone else here, right? And if you don't know what's going on, it's really tough. Like you waste resources really easily. So some of the work I do is stuff like training folks so that we, we understand collectively what research is about, putting together process so that you're not replicating or coming up with your own method of learning because other teams want to learn from you as well, right? Figuring out ways for people to share research really well so that we have this shared brain and maybe someone in marketing who's thought about an idea doesn't have to go out and hire a marketing agency to go and do that investigation because guess what? There was a UX research team that touched on something that very much applies to your marketing program, right? You can sort of go out and Wild West, everyone do their own thing. It's not going to be invaluable, but it's going to be very inefficient and it's going to be really annoying for folks. Put in the infrastructure, do that work so that it's a lot easier for us. And we take it for granted because we bring it back to like this sort of driving, right? We take it for granted that we have roads, that we have highways. I mean, someone thought ahead and did that so they wouldn't take take us 15 hours to drive something that on a highway now takes an hour, right? Long-winded way of saying what research operations is all about. It's just the infrastructure. I love it because I'm personally a huge fan of analogy. I actually really like the sort of transportation and road infrastructure example mm. or analogy you would draw to that because that, that's absolutely right. I mean, in, in many cases, I think before we had, a, you know, as we were talking about earlier, a language to describe this problem. So now we're talking mm -hmm. about it as research ops. I think before UX researchers were trying to be the chauffeur, the personal chauffeur, to mm. use your analogy, for everything, for all the insights and information that happened in the organization. But then also there were market researchers and even yeah. people in sales and other, you know, other product, other people in the organization. Everybody was trying to be personal chauffeur. But then we realized, you know, we're actually all taking different paths to the same destination. Mm. What we could do, again, using your analogy, we build a highway. And then we all agree, this is the road we take to get there. And in fact, yeah. here's the vehicles that fit on that road. And here's the speed limit, you know, because it's safe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. Like, that makes <laughs> yeah. a ton of sense. I, I love that analogy. No, not sure. I, I, th I thought about it on the spot. <laughs> I'm glad it resonated a little bit. I wasn't sure if I was going down the it right sticks. road. It sticks. <laughs> sticks. No pun intended. We're sure if no you were going down the right intended. road. No I, I, reg I regretted it as soon as I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, so 
enough for the analogy, totally on board with that building, you know, research ops is building the infrastructure for research to happen well, for it to happen efficiently, for us to, you know, reduce the churn on resources and redoing mm-hmm. research and stuff like that. As you're doing this, and because you're, you're kind of knee deep in this problem right now, or mm-hmm. you're working on this, what's the first thing that comes to mind that says, you know, for me, this is the thing I have to work with every day, or is the biggest challenge that I have to overcome doing that kind of work? Yeah. The biggest thing is like, like you first have to understand the problem. You have to understand the landscape so that you can figure out what needs to happen. One of the tricky things, especially with a new practice, and you're right, like this is a super, super young practice. We are in our infancy when it comes to research ops. And a tough thing that's very, it's sort of a temptation is like to just apply a playbook that's worked somewhere else. Like research works differently in different companies. So I think that the biggest thing to, for folks to understand when it comes to research ops is like you first need to understand the landscape within your own company. Who does research? When do they do research? How do they do research? Why is that happening? What's planned for the future? Where's the company going? And what's going to be needed? What kind of research needs to happen so that the company can achieve its goals, right? And that needs to be the first thing that undergirds research ops. Because only once you've understood understood the landscape, you go back to this analogy of like, okay, what do we need to build? You don't need to build a bridge over straight land that's that's dry. You need to build a bridge over water or like something that's not easy for vehicles to navigate, right? Understanding the state of research and understanding what needs to happen sort of is the first thing, right? I think then is when you begin to dive in and go, Okay, I'm going to sort of begin to solve the priority problems. What gets mentioned the most with these research apps, I think, is two problems. One is knowledge management. How do we sort of gain the shared understanding of all the research that's happening and that's happened in the past? And recruitment. Knowledge management, because it's really messy to figure that out. And recruitment, because it's really annoying. (laughs) No one wants to sit there and do research admin, reaching out to people, responding to messages, scheduling calls, all that stuff, right? So those tend to be the two biggest problems that are identified when when folks considering research ops. They may be what you end up tackling first, but I think the biggest thing is to understand the landscape and the opportunities in the short term. One thing to highlight too with research ops is it's very different to like pure research. So research is about going out, figuring out problems and sharing the insights around, around these needs, around these problems. Research ops is about delivering a service. And as soon as you get into that delivery mode for, for something that people are using and you're into a different mode, you actually have to create something that's going to get feedback that people are going to use. That feedback, that back and forth is very different for folks. I also want to highlight that even though it has the word research in it, research ops is a totally different practice. Like don't expect that you're going to do UX research and then come to research ops and be like, oh yeah, this is sort of the same thing. They're very different. Much like driving a car is very different to building a road. (laughs) It takes different skill sets and different tools. So I think there's two things. Like one, it's like understanding the landscape is super important and understanding that this is a totally different job than research is really important. No, that's that's really good. I think that's such an important distinction too to make because there's a lot of people who I think might have the impression that research ops is just kind of a new buzzword type thing in the UX research mm. world. And that's very much not true. You know, so earlier we were talking about having a calling or having a passion. For me, I would draw the distinction in, you know, on one end with UX research, you have a passion for doing research with people and understanding their needs and turning that into insights, recommendations, actions, right? Mm -hmm. With research ops, your passion probably is delivering 
research at an organization, right? Allowing it to happen efficiently. Like your passion needs to be making sure that runs smoothly, not yeah. getting great insights and doing great research, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's sort of this angle of like, you like to grease the wheels, you like to support, right? Like I, I think someone who thrives in research ops is not someone who thoroughly loves the limelight because there's there's not a lot of limelight in, in this work. <laughs> you are very much, another analogy I like to talk about is like research as the band on stage. They're very talented in what they do and almost like a main attraction in research ops as, as the road crew, setting up the speakers, setting up the staging, setting up all the sound. Like you, you're doing all the work before the crowd comes. So the crowd yeah. doesn't see you, right? Yeah. Yeah. The people who really appreciate you, it's the band, right? Right. The band are like, so you often see this dynamic where, you know, the bands are traveling and, and, and doing concerts, doing, doing their shows around the world, whether it's a world tour or like a country tour, and they get really close to the crew, right? Because mm -hmm. you spend all this time together and the band appreciates the crew for what the crew does. Yeah. No one else appreciates the crew, right? <laughs> um, and that's the dynamic with research ops and research. The researchers value what you do. Yeah, But it's very likely that someone who doesn't do research, it doesn't know who you are mm -hmm. and really doesn't care about what you do. They see the impact of what you do through really good research, really consistent research. But that's a really tough, tough thing. It's like you have to be okay with not being in the limelight because your work is going to be hidden. The people who value you, they are in the minority, but they really value you. They love you. They, mm. <laughs> they are absolutely over the moon to have you there. Yeah, it's it's very different to being able to deliver public research that perhaps makes an impact on strategy or makes an impact on the product direction. Yeah, makes total sense. Again, I love the analogy. I love analogies in general, and that one really works. And so it's a perfect opportunity for me to use it to talk to you about something else too, because... Mm. So you used it as a, as a band and then there's a road crew and sort of like the stage crew and they handle all of that. Well, when a band's just first starting up, the band typically sets all that stuff up, right? Yes. And yes. that's kind of how this goes. And I yeah. think that that's very common in newer teams and even especially, of course, newer companies. There's just less manpower to go around, right? There's mm -hmm. less elbow grease to go around. And so what we find are those, those people doing the work, doing the research, also doing the operations, of course. Yes, you're the musician, but... You got to set up the stage. What's your experience there? And I, particularly the question I have is when is it right to bring in research ops or really, really focus on that? It's a very biased question, uh, yeah, but yeah. I'll ask it anyway. What stands out to me is it's, it's time to bring in research ops when you sort of realize the value of you doing that backend stuff or that you don't have enough time to do that, enough of that work to set you up to do good research. Let's return to the band, right? As a band, you start off and maybe you get to do a few little shows here and there. You become more popular. And instead of doing one show every week on the weekend at some spot, you're now doing five shows a week, right? You're traveling, you have a little van or something, and you realize that, okay, if we're going to do five shows a week, okay, setting up takes two hours, tear down takes two hours, and the show is an hour. Okay, we got to, we have now five hours of solid work each day on top of driving, on top of just like taking care of each other. And there's probably like, once you start to do two shows, you're like, ah, oh, we can do this. It's so cool. You're doing three shows. It's like, ah, oh, it's a bit annoying, but like, we can still figure this out. You're doing four shows a week. It's like, Phew. like now you're getting too tired from all the setup and teardown to like actually do well 
when you're actually playing, the thing that you're paid to do. And I think this happens in research as well, where you're doing the work and then it's like, oh, oh, we have so many more projects. The amount of time we're doing recruiting people, oh, like that's that's such a pain. Oh, oh, did you share that work? What happened with like your report? Oh, I didn't get to it. It was like too much because as soon as I wrapped up that research, I needed to jump on another research. And so the pain becomes acute, right? Like you feel the pain and the pain is actually stopping you from doing the thing that you want to do, which is speaking to customers, doing the important work of learning from them so that you can make improvements. So I think it'll look a little bit different in each company, but the consistent thing is like you begin to feel the pain. I think if you're clever, you identify the pain early, right? Instead of getting to this point where you have 20 researchers and it's a mess. I think the key question to ask, what is it like for your team to to recruit people? Mm -hmm. Is that something that is pretty standard and pretty easy for them? Or is there a lot of frustration around there? What's it like for them to to share their work? Is this something that's that's pretty easy or something that's becoming more difficult. What's it like for product managers or marketers or designers, like for them to interact with the research, for them to, to do their own research? Yeah. If you're finding that it's pretty tough in these sorts of areas, you, you're hopefully seeing the beginnings of this like momentum to get into having a research, op, research ops person. If you're not feeling any pain, if your team is not sharing the day's, the day's pain, then you you may be in a good spot, right? Like I've spoken to people who, as full-time UX researchers, are really passionate about operations. So they, they've spent like half their time on operation stuff. And guess what? They're okay because there's someone in the team who's really passionate about this. Mm-hmm. will not only have part of their work dedicated to ops, but even because they're so passionate, will take extra time to like do operation stuff because it's a fun thing for them. Right. Then you're you're lucky because you have that person and you're in a good place, right? But I think you want to be in a place where you can diagnose, is is there real pain here? And if there's pain, we need to do something about it. That's a very fair answer. Very fair answer. Especially that it's going to look different at each team and company. Because I don't Mm. think, I often get asked, so as you know, we we work in the research shop space, more on that Mm -hmm. knowledge management and sort of sharing the work side of things. And I often get asked from teams, when do you see somebody bring an official research ops person on? And I, and I have to admit, I answer very similar to yours, although maybe not as eloquently, is I just say, you're, you're going to know when you know, like you're going to have mm. some sort of pain that you realize it's really hard to find stuff. It's really hard to search across things. It's really hard to share it. It's really hard to get research done. Yeah. And your researchers are feeling pain of spending more time getting to the point to be able to do the research as opposed mm. to actually doing it. And I think I would be willing to bet that someone smarter than me, certainly in mathematics, could actually come up with an equation to say, this amount of time being spent as, a, as opposed yeah. to this, that's like the threshold, right? Yeah. Uh, that's not something I'm I'm personally very excited about figuring out, <laughs> but any any uh, math gurus out there that want to do that, I bet you that you could, you could run a study and actually figure out that time and say, this is it. This is when you, yeah. and I, I would, I would wager a guess it has nothing to do with how many people you've got on your team or how mm-hmm. big your company is, right? I think it really is the velocity of research. Yes. I like that you break it down in kind of two ways, because that's very much what we see too. There's like sort of operationalizing the execution of research, and then there's operationalizing the delivery of the results and knowledge and insights of research. And of course, that's the end that I tend to work on a lot more yeah. because of mm-hmm. what we do. Uh, in Aurelius, but uh, I think it's really cool that you kind of you kind of break it down those two things and 
very fair answer. And I think it's it's important to, to think about those pieces because the advice that I give, you know, I'll have people reach out to me because I'm in these jobs and they go, hey, like, it'd be cool to hear about how you've approached this because we're thinking about this. And I think because it's new, maybe someone's read an article or they've attended a conference or they've heard a podcast episode or something. And it's very easy to just catch onto this one line of like, oh yeah, we should do that thing, right? Because they've done that thing. It's like, okay, we let's take a step back and really think through the, the whole journey of doing research. Much like a product, right? If you only solve for one slice of the product experience, you may think you've done great, but it's very easy for a customer to overlook that because of what happens right before and what happens after. And I think with the research, it's the same. There's areas that are higher priority, but the fact that priority means that you've chosen it over other areas. You have an awareness that there are other areas. And I think it's very easy for folks to come into research ops with a line of like, I'm going to fix recruiting. And when I fix recruiting, everything is going to be great. And guess what? You could fix recruiting. And like you said, you could have more research velocity. And you actually creating a larger problem for yourself down the road. <laughs> yeah. That it really needs to be solved. Uh, yeah, I, that's, that's really, really great advice, honestly, because I think that's true with most things in life. But absolutely, you know, you increase the velocity at which you're doing research and gathering insights. All you're doing is kicking the can down the road and creating yeah. a bigger mess if you don't have a system <laughs> to organize, yeah. search, share, reuse that stuff, right? Because then what happens is, yes, you solved your problem in how long it takes you to recruit. And that is good. That's absolutely worth solving. It's a huge pain point. But what you did is you made it worse and it's taking you now longer to figure out past stuff you've done. And you've just actually yeah. introduced waste into your process because now you're, yeah. you're going you're gonna to be doing research faster, but you're probably going to be redoing research, right? Because you can't exactly. get the most, you can't get more mileage to use our travel analogy. You can't get more <laughs> mileage back, yeah. out, of the, out of the insights that yeah. the, the research you already did, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I totally feel you on that one. Awesome. So this fantastic chat, and I know that uh, we could we could kind of jam on this for even longer. I got to be respectful of your time, of course. One thing is I like to ask at the end of you know episodes, I, I talk to our guests and I say, well, if I develop temporary amnesia and somebody were to come up to you and say, hey, what was that all about? What was that? What was that chat and podcast all about? How would you answer the question? How would you sum it up for people today? We just talked about a couple of things. One, what are the different types of research you need to do? to enable your company to really grasp the value of research and, and understand your users and their needs. So that gets back to the 30,000 foot, 10,000 foot uh, and ground level thing. And then how do you need to think about research operations? There is, you can't jump, jump in there without understanding what's the landscape of research within your company and then get to like, what are the problems that I can solve as I begin to build this infrastructure? So I think those are the two pieces that stood out for me from, from this conversation. I really enjoyed walking through them and yeah, jabbing on it with you. Awesome. Yeah, me as well. I mean, your, your experience and background in this is, uh, is super valuable. And I know folks are going to, they're going to take things away from this chat, certainly to think about, but I would imagine be able to apply to their work tomorrow. That's really helpful. Is there anything else you want to share with folks that we didn't get a chance to cover yet today? One, I think invest in research ops if it's the pain point, right? Like I really encourage folks to do that. Think about the pain that you're researchers are going through and help them out. If you can do that, the benefits are going to be huge. Two, I actually share a bunch about this. I have a website called Scaling Research with a podcast as well, and just openly share some of the stuff that I'm working on, hear what other folks are working on as well. So if you're ever looking for some practical, not even tips, I just share experience. This is actually what the work is like. 
would love to have have folks jump over and, and check it out. The goal here is I'm not an expert. I'm just someone who's trying to work in the open. So if you want to come along and watch someone work in the open and learn the open, we'd love to have you jump out to scalingresearch.com and, and learn together. Awesome. We'll make sure to have uh, links to that too whenever. So folks listen to this, just go to the page uh, where you're listening to it. We'll have show notes and links to all that stuff that Roy's got going on. I've been there. There's some pretty good articles and it is very open. <laughs> it is very open and honest, which is awesome because not every, I think people like to polish this work up and say, look at all mm. the great stuff we've done, but it's kind of like, well, sometimes <laughs> it sucks and I'm not that good at it. And well, that's how we yeah. learn and that's how we get better. Yeah. I think it's important to just yeah share what, what has gone well, what hasn't gone well. And just be honest, right? Because there's no guru here. We're just learning together. Awesome. I love it. And I love the philosophy. Well, Roy, I really appreciate you taking the time. Like I said, awesome conversation. I know we could do more, but yeah. you know, folks want more of you. There's a place where you can do that. And so we'll make sure we get a link to that and everybody will be able to check it out. But I just got to say thanks again for jumping on and joining us. Hey, it was such a pleasure. I really enjoyed the combo. Awesome. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Aurelius, the research and insights tool that helps you analyze, search, and share all your research in one place so you can go from data to insights to action faster and easier. Check out Aurelius for yourself with a 30-day trial by going to AureliusLab.com. That's A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot if you would give us a review on iTunes to let others know what you think. You can catch all new episodes of the Aurelius podcast almost anywhere you listen to podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, and more. Stay up to date when new episodes come out by signing up for our email updates on our website.